0: You don't need to be a bioengineer to help change the shape of humanity. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc.
2: Welcome to Trillions. I'm Joel Weber
3: and I'm Eric Balchunas.
2: Eric, there's this thing happening in the world—coronavirus. Kind of concerned about it. On yeah, a scale of uh, one uh, to uh, ten, how concerned are you? Um, I'll be
3: honest—zero. Uh, a, I think this stuff gets blown out of proportion by the media because they can hit Trump over the head with it. So I think I have to divide by two—the media attention. Number two, if you look at the fatality percentages and the actual cases, I think it's a little overblown. Plus, I live in Philly, so my immune system gets a big workout every day. Yeah, um, I'd,
2: I'd like to consult an expert on so that. So I'm
3: going on, everywhere. On I shake hands. I ride trains. I went to the mall last weekend. Bring it on.
2: I'm somewhere between a two and an eight, depending on the moment. But the point of this episode is to actually like bring ETFs into this conversation. Wh- wh- who are we going to talk with?
3: Yeah, so there is no coronavirus ETF, um, obviously. But where we got our next guest was, I remember back in 2016, there was a filing for something called the BioShares BioThreat ETF, with, with, which is kind of the ticker GERM. And remember the time That's going- That's a good ticker. It is. And I, I was like, this is a little crazy. Come on. Now, we went back and we looked in the prospectus. We looked at the stocks it would have held. And these stocks were up 30 to to 140% each over the past week after wow. the because they're virus-fighting biotech firms. You know, I think this ETF might have had its hack moment where, you know, like hack uh, launched right before the uh, Sony hack and uh, return, maybe triple the
2: S&P over the next couple months. One of the big success stories in ETF launches.
3: Yeah, if you're a small issuer with a a product that's niche, you need that kind of moment. This It didn't happen for this fund. However, the company that, that issued it has two other funds called the Virtus LifeSci Biotech Clinical Trials ETF and the product. So they divided biotech into clinical trials and the product side. And biotech is just interesting. We've never covered it. So I figured this would be a good time to discuss uh, the virus, what biotech companies do in order to fight it,
2: and a little bit about the ETF side of things. So joining us this time, Paul Uke and Ryan Sonali of Lifeside Ventures. This time on Trillions, the biotech frontier. Paul, Ryan, welcome to Trillions. Thank you. So whose big idea was this company slash ETF?
4: So this is Paul speaking. Uh, Hi, thank you for having me. So uh, I came up with the idea of creating some new biotech ETFs. You know, at the time when we launched BBC and BBP, this was 2014, there were really only two established biotech ETFs. And they remain the big guerrilla biotech ETFs today, IBB and XBI. And they had the lion's share of the assets. And really, if you looked at them I called them fairly dirty biotech ETFs because they were not pure biotechnology uh, sector funds. You take Ryan, uh, net, who's next to me, who's a PhD, 12 years of bench science, and then an additional five plus years investment banking and investment experience. I've been 20, uh, geez, 23, 24 years in this space now. And we wanted to create a true biotech ETF created by sector experts. And the first and most important thing we did is we said biotech is really two sectors. You've got emerging, let's call it risky companies, and we call those clinical trial companies. They sell zero drugs and they are experimental. they're They're testing M- their shot almost right. yeah, and they and when they have a positive result, the stocks can go up two hundred percent in one day. On the converse, when they fail a clinical trial, they can drop 50%. The other side of the equation are more established companies. You have many of them. Now they're selling today life saving medicines Amgen, Biogen, Regeneron, Gilead. Some of these are now household names. What's exciting about them is they don't have the same risk profile but they're still growing probably 20 plus percent revenue growth per year in an economy that's growing two or three percent. So that's what's great about those two buckets. We separate them out. Mm -hmm. And that's the biggest change that we made. I'm shocked no one else has done that in the past five or six years.
3: You know, we've spoken to Brad Longcar. He's got that cancer immunotherapy. There's been some of that, but uh, you're right. And biotech is an area that has a ton of assets. And, you know, I think a lot of new ETFs come from these indie issuers that
2: see something wrong with the big guys. Ryan, you're a PhD. I'm going to ask you the same question I asked Eric. How concerned on a scale of 1 to 10 are you about the coronavirus?
5: Yeah, so um, I think that obviously when new viruses present themselves, it can be a bit scary. But obviously the world has seen coronaviruses before. And my feeling is that it's early days. But um, what we've seen in, in China is that sort of rapid containment strategy that they employed has worked pretty well in the sense that the cases over time have been coming down. And the spread through the country seems to have been relatively contained. Unfortunately, you can't keep everybody sort of locked up, uh, right? And uh, so what we now have is the emergence of, I'm sure you've heard the buzzword sort of community presentation. And so that is where, you know, you can't really track an individual case back to travel to China or exposure in, in, in Korea or elsewhere. So that essentially, I think, you know, has presented initially in, in the state of Washington, and now we're seeing, you know, a number of cases emerging there. We've seen a pretty rapid response by, by our government and by the agencies, CDC and others, and I imagine that, uh, you know, we'll
2: continue to sort of have updates as this sort of experience plays out. So put your investment hat on for a second. What's the opportunity that you see here? I mean, Paul described there's two, two sort of buckets, but from a science perspective, what do you what do you look at?
5: Sure. I mean, I think from, from the outset, when, when you have an outbreak like this, um, you think about, you know, what are the needs in order to sort of contain? And initially we heard that there was essentially a lack of resources on the diagnostic side. And so the CDC really had one of the only kits that was being used here in the States, and there was a shortage. We were not testing patients as rapid or potential patients as rapidly as we could. And so over the course of the last week or so, I think we've, we've seen a number of press releases from some of these smaller-cap biotechnology and diagnostics companies that have said, hey, look, we're working on these next-generation diagnostics. It turns out that these kits that help uh, diagnose patients are not necessarily sophisticated. It's really just about sort of implementing the the manufacturing um, and and getting them out to to the clinics. Um, So I think there's been a real push. So, you know, we've we certainly have been looking at companies that we think that, you know, are on the forefront of, of putting new diagnostics out there. Um and in addition, you know, we're looking at companies that have uh, means of, of sterilizing nursing homes, hospitals, schools subway cars for example and there's some interesting technologies out there that we've come across in again small cap companies where they have hydrogen peroxide based mists or sprays for decontam- decontamination um, and then finally obviously there's um, you know there's therapeutics and vaccines and that's probably you know closest to home to what you know Paul and I do and so there have been a number of companies that have announced that they're working on either vaccines or they've identified potential therapeutics by looking at the components of, of some of the of the blood of infected patients. And so um, you know, those companies as they continue to sort of move those early stage products through development, I'm sure we're gonna hear more and more about them.
3: We'll go into germ in a minute, but what are in terms of BBC, are these companies that that do these things? Are they in BBC or BBP? That's the clinical trials or the product stage. And which companies are they?
4: So the BBC and BBP are very specifically biotechnology drug companies. You know, the term biotech is used colloquially um, to cover a wide range of approaches, whether they're business-oriented or sometimes not even business. Cloning, for example, animals is sometimes considered biotech. We don't consider that a biotech investment. We consider a drug that's put into a human to be a biotech stock. In this case, the last segment of companies Ryan mentioned, which I think is potentially the most lucrative on an ongoing basis financially, um, these are the medicines that will cure affected patients or vaccinate and prevent infection of the broader population. I think that's going to be the big business here for coronavirus and other similar types of outbreaks. There are a handful of those stocks which happen to be in BBC and BBP because they're strong scientific players. Let's take a look at Moderna. It's a leading biotech company, about a $10 billion market cap, with a, a real leadership position in RNA therapeutic technology. They jumped very quickly to, said, to say, we can move and, and develop a vaccine to prevent coronavirus outbreaks in the future. Like
2: within weeks. Within
4: weeks. Within weeks. So that company, they're not selling any drugs. They're in clinical trials for other compounds, but they are in BBC, the C standing for clinical. On the other side, Gilead, which has a drug an antiviral drug that was already in testing for other coronaviruses. Let's keep in mind, coronavirus has been a, been around for a while. It's a type of a virus. 20% of common colds are caused by some forms of coronavirus. Also, SARS and MERS are coronaviruses. Yep. So Gilead had a drug that was, in, that was in testing for prior forms of coronavirus. This drug looks like it works. In one patient tested in the U.S., that patient recovered very quickly. So they're studying it very quickly in corona patients. And the stock is reacting very well because it looks like this could be a winning agent in this war.
2: Talk to me more about the science of this and how quickly things have uh, improved because you mentioned MERS and SARS. like when, when we were developing treatments at that stage, it was taking months, years to get something. And here we're seeing it just in like a matter of weeks where there's a potential solution that's even been identified, right? This all
4: plays to how quickly biotech is moving. You know, when I first entered the industry, the rule of thumb was it would take 13 years to move from that preclinical phase to FDA approval. That was just the rule. 13 years, maybe 12 if you're very fast. We now have examples of drugs that got from light bulb moment. Aha, scientist says, let's try this to FDA approval and dosing in a commercial patient, a patient who paid, insurance company paid the bill in four and a half years in targeted cancer. In fact, Ryan worked on one of those drugs that was approved, targeted cancer, and is selling today treating patients. So that, if you think about that speed, 13 going to four and a half, that's science, that's regulatory bodies. The FDA has now created pathways where you can move for accelerated approval, breakthrough approval designations, New clinical trial designs that say you don't have to do sometimes things that don't make sense in a clinical trial. And for all of those reasons, we can react much more quickly today to an outbreak than we could with SARS or Ebola.
3: What you just described made me want to invest in biotech. And I think that's a lot of what people are attracted to. Um, Help me explain the relentlessness of this sector because every year we have the leaderboard, you know, which ETFs are like at the top and the top 20. It's usually like they come and go, right? They have their moment because you're usually very concentrated. But biotech's on there a lot. And you can look at XBI, that's the equal weighted biotech. It's up 360% over the past 10 years. The s and up 210%. And even this healthcare sector is only up 242. So they're up a lot already, right? Um, how much of this is priced in? I mean, how much are we pricing in the future expectations versus what has already happened?
4: So I think today, it, what you're asking about is, um, you know, we look at things ultimately as net present values. I mean, we're both of us here sitting here are former bankers, and you've got to boil things down to DCF analysis. And, and in a typical, let's call it a widget manufacturing business, um, we, when we project out cash flows, we'll see something like 60% of the value in the near-term cash flows that you project out and 40% of the terminal value. In biotech, it's flipped around dramatically. So in most cases, it's maybe 20% in the near-term cash flows, 80% terminal value. So it's really all terminal value. Having said that, today what we see is real tangible evidence that that drug will work. Companies are often acquired after they show in a phase two study, that's maybe two years before they're marketed, um, then they're acquired. That's when a drug company knows it's going to be a real drug. So Gilead, two days ago, announced the acquisition of 47, FTSV, ticker FTSV, which is in one of our funds. And the reason um, they paid $5 billion for that company is not because they're selling today, because they're not, but it's because the evidence from the early clinical trials are now tantalizing and show with very high probability that this will be a major drug, a, new, a major new drug class.
3: And I'm looking at your fund, BBC, it's equal-weighted, right? And XBI is equal-weighted. We've written about XBI in particular because it's crushing IBB. And we feel like the equal-weighting gives bigger weightings to the small companies, and it's gotten what we call M&A pop. Um, talk about the importance of that. Is that why you equal weighted, so that you'd give a little more weighting to the potential targets? Because unless you have inside information, you don't know who to own, but here you're putting your eggs in an equal basket to get that kind of pop. Is that Was that the goal in the design of the product?
4: That is probably the biggest reason for the difference between the XBI and the IBB, the IBB being market weighted. If you think about what are the largest companies in the space. They dominate the market cap. Gilead, Amgen, Regeneron. And these are companies that are unlikely to be acquired anytime soon. And if they are, relatively modest premium, 30%, 50%, because they're becoming big pharma-like. The difference between a Merck and a Pfizer and ultimately an Amgen or a Gilead is blurring. But the companies like 47, I mean, we're talking about a stock that's gone up 15 to 20-fold in the last 6 to 12 months, 15 to 20x, not percentage points. And that's fairly typical for a small-cap biotech company that, A, shows that a trial goes from being high-risk to, to, oh, this works, this cures patients, and then, B, going to a big pharma company or multiple big pharma companies saying, we have to own that in our pipeline. And that, those are the valuation and flex that happen in really in the whole sector, but unless you Equal weight, as you said, Eric, you're not going to capture that alpha. So that's why we do it.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. What do all the greatest innovations have in common? Agents, people who participate in progress by supporting cutting edge ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you access to innovators of the NASDAQ 100 all in one fund. So you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come. Anyone can become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ.
2: So let's talk about germ for a second, because great ticker, not on the market right now. And so my question is sort of like, in the middle of all of this, do you kind of like hit your forehead and go, dough, like we had the thing and it's not out right now? So
4: germ, just for a little bit of background, germ is an index that we have created. Uh, and we created it back in 2016. And the overarching index is called the BioShares Threat Index. And it's designed to invest in companies that can protect and guard against a wide variety of biological threats. Now, first and foremost, of course, that is disease outbreaks, Ebola. And that's existing and new. So Ebola, SARS, coronavirus. Now, also, biological warfare, sarin gas, war. I mean, you just don't know what's going to happen in the future. And, And so protecting homeland security and the borders. Things like Clorox. I mean, we think about very basic industries. Clorox has been a big component of that index, Clorox, went up every day of the Crohn outbreak because they are selling every unit that they can make. And so there's a wide variety of aspects that go into the germ index. But the, the mechanics, no one knows better than Eric, of launching an independent ETF is it's expensive and it sits out there for a while sometimes until you have an outbreak. So we're in high gear right now um, with respect to potentially getting something out there that's investable. You know, we all love to invest. And the problem with investing in coronavirus stocks is they're so volatile. These stocks are generally small cap. They trade 50 to 100 million shares a day today, whereas they traded 50,000 six months ago. And the volatility is insane. So you need to invest in a basket. And we're seeking to create that kind of a basket.
3: And in the germ index, you know, some of the tickers you sent over that would be in here are include something like Cleveland Biolabs, uh, Veer Biotechnology Co-Diagnostics, which, by the way, is up 350% last week, when the market fell 11 <laughs> I think they had to halt it, right? It was halt on the upside. Um, those are small. We look. Those are all small micro-cap would you balance that out with a Clorox or a Gilead or Absolutely. somebody? Absolutely. So, what would what does this index look like, and how much was it up last week?
4: We've been told not to talk about the index right now, just because it's uh, lawyers. Come on, yeah. <laughs> <You know. laughs> but Freaking lawyers clients. Yeah. No, the the index no is no fun. Let's think about it as a. Um, it, it does have a lot of a uh, lot of larger companies in there, and some of them did very well. Some of them didn't do as well. But overall, uh, the let's say year to date, you're talking about double digit outperformance over the S&P. So the way the index works is it is modified market cap weight with a 4.9% maximum weighting, about 54 stocks currently in the index. And it has several different buckets, not just coronavirus or other virus companies, but also companies that will assist in sterilization. Um, Think about companies, hospital cleaning companies like Stericycle actually done very well companies that make disposable gloves or masks. These are companies that everyone knows. Kimberly Clark, 3M, Clorox, as we mentioned. And then, of course, the drug companies like Gilead, which was already a leader in antivirals. And very quickly, they were able to jump on and help with this outbreak.
2: Okay, uh, Ryan, I want to bring you back in, especially on the investor beware side of this, right? Like biotech, for all the promise out there, It's also had bust moments and and big ones, you know, and the Theranos question probably still hangs over the industry to some extent. Where do you come down in terms of like how an investor should approach what could be, you know, massive returns, but also like a total bust?
5: Yeah, for sure. And I think with the stocks that we were just discussing, you know, an ETF approach would certainly be what I would recommend. there's just a ton of volatility in these names. Uh, as Paul mentioned, uh, you know companies like Codiagnostics or, or Cleveland, or even you know, names like Inovio um, we've seen in just you know, the past day have gone up two three hundred percent, and they'll come down two to three hundred percent in in less time. And yeah. and certainly um, for for the average retail investor out there, it's, it's it's quite challenging to be able to time those trades. So that's why we're so excited about putting together this germ ETF because we think you know it's, it certainly provides uh, an opportunity for folks to get involved in a, a relatively de-risked way. Paul, I see you at conferences at the booth there sometimes, you
3: know, and I consider you an indie issuer. Um, besides, obviously what you've already proven here, which is that indie issuers are very close to the ground. They're local. They know their material very well, in some cases better than the bigger issuers. But they typically also have a lot of other things going on in their business life. So talk about these ETFs are just the small sliver of your whole operation. What else do you do?
4: Yeah. So LifeSci Partners is uh, headquartered in New York City. We have about 170 employees globally at this point. We're a leading consultancy to the biotechnology sector as well as the broader healthcare space. Uh, We have a number of different business units that can provide executive search, investor relations, consulting, investment banking. As you know, the operations of an ETF uh, that's passively managed like ours doesn't require a lot of day-to-day. Really the business, once the funds have been up and running and ours have been out there for over five years, is to make sure the, the indexes are maintained properly and rigorously. Um, So we do that, and twice a year we rebalance. What Ryan and I spend the vast majority of our time doing is seeking out private companies. And so we we run a venture fund called Lifeside Venture Partners. We're out there generally looking to invest maybe one year or two years before these companies become public through an IPO, in which case they would enter most likely the BBC ETF.
2: And what size of investment are you guys looking on the VC?
4: So we're generally participating in this round that's called a crossover round, or maybe a Series B or C round. Those are usually fifty to one hundred million dollar rounds. Today we're writing ten ish million dollar checks. Um, We're just uh, we just had our first close on our latest fund, our our second fund, which is a two hundred million dollar fund. But we would join as a syndicate member across. You know, we'll lead a couple of deals a year, but we'll join you know three to five other investors in that round.
2: So if I zoom out a little bit and just think about all the various industries and sectors that have sort of had moments and, you know, maybe reached a certain plateau. And, like, we've seen tech just over the last 20 years just boom in a big way. Biotech's had those boom moments, but it hasn't reached maybe the same exponential growth that we've seen from the tech industry. And if you know anything about Moore's Law and sort of what's happening in sort of the tech industry, like, maybe there's... A thought that we could see a plateau there. Is this biotech's moment?
4: I don't know that this is biotech's moment per se. I think it's been, you know, a more of a gradual curve up. And I think moments like outbreaks like this is the industry's chance to shine and really show everyone else what's going on. One of my first bosses in the industry, um, a senior banker at Goldman, once said, um, this was back in the early, no, it was probably in the late 90s, said there's really no biotech sector in my view. Biotech companies are really just small pharma companies. And I think that's a view that was long held for a while. And I think people really understanding that that things have changed so dramatically that the DNA of a biotech company is so utterly different than that of a pharma company. Eric, you said you were from Philly. Philly is one of the original homes of those mainline pharma companies. SmithKline, Beecham, Roan Poulonk, Rohrer, and these are companies that all along the main line of uh, near the Philadelphia area, they've now merged and merged, and these are in some cases 50 or 100 year old businesses. These are people who join a company and will stay and, and retire and have their pensions. In biotech, it's very different. These are superstar scientists, superstar executives who are free agents and, and will solve a problem, sell the company, move on to the next. And it's a, it's a dynamic industry, and it's growing faster and faster.
3: Besides germ maybe coming out at some point, do you have any other that are you know, farther down the road that are sort of cutting-edge kind of indexes that could be ETFs?
4: Yeah, we are, you know, we're constantly looking to see what other indexes that we can innovate on within healthcare. And there are a lot of other um, spaces that I think that are investable that are not served by the current market. There's nothing, I would say, earlier than the BioThread Index. Um, we're being very selective. We've got a lot on our plate.
2: Last thought. Ryan, you didn't give me a number. A scale of one to ten, where are we on the coronavirus?
3: Here's what he wants you to do. He wants you, because you're an expert PhD, to overrule to sort of <laughs> embarrass me for my I don't That's care. Exactly right. Yes, this is what's going on. So the higher the number, the better he'll feel. But don't don't listen don't do it just for him.
5: Yeah, I think I think we're somewhere around a
2: five or six.
3: Yeah.
5: Yeah. <laughs> You just made Joel very happy.
2: That's a cool shower for I'm still a point, too. Paul, Ryan, thanks for joining us on Trillions. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Trillions. Until next time, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you'd like to listen. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Twitter. I'm at Joel Weber Show. He's at Eric Balchunas. And you can learn more about LifeSide Partners at lifesidepartners.com. This episode of Trillions was produced by Magnus Henriksen. Francesca Levy is the head of Bloomberg Podcast. Bye.
0: How does Invesco QQQ rethink possibility? By rethinking access to innovation and the NASDAQ 100. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.